Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel Manteca. Uh, blessed to be with you guys this morning. A um, couple things to be praying about. Even if you can't make it out to the Fun Fest, be praying. Um, it is a time we will be sharing the gospel um, through a kind of a, a little presentation mime show and uh, sharing it and giving an op- opportunity for those who desire to begin a relationship with Christ. So as it leads up, if you would be praying for that, praying that um, God would bring those that he's already working in, those that are lost, that are hurting, um, that he would just call those, Father, to, to be able to come and to meet and, and to learn the truth about who he is, that, that he is actively seeking them. And we see that many times where God calls people and it's just not one moment, but many moments or many seeds that are planted in that area. And so be praying for that event coming up. Um, and then also uh, a couple other things we're, we're planning for, praying, um, getting, doing some men's get-togethers and uh, some discipleship classes at the beginning of the year. So if you guys would just continue to pray that uh, God would just continue just to guide and lead us as leaders in the church and as a fellowship, because um, we desire just to be right in step with His Holy Spirit and what He is desiring to do among us. So we have been going through the book of Luke, and we're going to continue through uh, the Gospel of Luke with Dr. Luke, if you would. And um, we'll be in chapter uh, 7, and verse 18 is where we'll be starting. And kind of we're going to be looking at very much His ways and not our ways. Um, it's kind of interesting. You, you think of things, you know, as, as uh, you know, like this, this last lottery, it was really big. I don't even know how big, probably, you know, you think it would be whatever, I think it was in billions of dollars or whatever, but, you know, you'd think the winning the lottery would be a good thing, and statistically it's not. Most of the people that win the lottery, like 98% of them end up worse off in 10 years than they were before. And, and it's just kind of interesting, some of the documentaries that have come out and, and things you hear, and, and you think, okay, well, that much money, you'd have enough money to mess up and then get it right. And it turns out, no, it's actually worse. The more money you win in the lottery, the worse the odds are that you're going to be doing better or happier. And, and it's, it's interesting because you kind of think about that even in our lives. How many times have we asked or prayed or, or desired something um, in our Christian walk, and, and the things we would see that are even good, that if you, we got, when you look back later, you go, oh man, I thank you, God, you didn't answer that prayer with a yes like I wanted at the time, you know, the, the trouble or the problems we would have um, gladly have gotten ourselves into, if you would, you know, and you sit there and you, you look at the, those things and, and not being able to know the future and those things, and um, it, it's sometimes really hard just to sit and trust God in these areas. And this morning we're going to be looking at that. We're looking at John the Baptist in this account. We already had the Sermon on the Plain that was very challenging uh, portion of Scripture. And we also, um, you know, he, he, he kind of threw the, the thoughts of the world upside down. The, you know, loving your enemy and and these, these, the way we're supposed to be and humble and that your stature and your money and, and what you've accomplished um, isn't, isn't, uh, isn't what it's about, isn't your value, isn't how God values you. And then um, we see his authority over death. And when we start here in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says, 
Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And all these things were Jesus had healed and sent, uh, uh, the, the, the servant of the centurion uh, without even being present. He was able to hear him just at a, heal him just at a word and was made well. And then he goes, and as he enters this town, he has the crowd of people with him come in contact with this funeral procession coming out of the city gates. And they come in there, and there's a widower, and it's her only son, and he raises him from the dead. And that report goes back to John. John the Baptist. John, who was prophesied that he would be born, John, the, the son of this promise that he would be preparing the way for the Messiah. I mean, when, when the things were heard, when his dad, as we, we began in Luke and studied, you know, as their old age and there and this child of promise comes and he's going to be great and all this there and full of the Holy Spirit from the beginning. This John, and in verse 19 it says, And John called two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? What happened? I mean, this is John who was there when Jesus was baptized and he saw the dove descend on him and stay. He's the one I, I can't even, I can't even, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. And now he's at a point where he's doubting. He, he, he's, are you the one? Who do we look for? Do we look for another? I mean, the report just came that this guy raised somebody from the dead. And your response is, are you the one? You know, and, and, and it kind of draws a question. It's like, what did you see, John? Where are you at? I mean, there, but what you got to understand is where John's at. And by now, he's been in jail for at least 10 months. He's been in a dungeon for 10 months. The Marcus uh, a dungeon, um, which was a fort on the side of the sea of, of uh, the Dead Sea, there. He's been in this dungeon. Herod, who's a wicked ruler, okay, wicked man set up by the Roman government, John speaks out against because he's taken his brother's wife, who's also related, and he's speaking out, going, It's wrong. This is adultery. And because of that, Herod didn't really care too much, but the wife didn't had him locked up, and eventually will have him killed. And so here he's been sitting in jail for 10 months, and it's like, well, what's this? Where, where are you at? The circumstances change. He's began to doubt, and it's not that he doesn't believe, but here you have a man who is out in the wilderness preaching repentance, preaching the coming of Christ has come, and be prepared. He, he, he's going to come in, he's going to wipe out all the the religious leaders, he's going to take care of all the hypocrisy. He's going to set up a new kingdom. These things you were saying were true, but the timing wasn't there. You know, and, and you think, I mean, this is a guy who is hanging out in the wilderness. Eating locusts, living in rough clothes. He had the right to be the high priest, you realize? The authority, the promise, he could have been in the life of luxury. He gave all that up to go live out and now... As this ministry comes to an end in that sense, in that area, he's now in jail. He's now in prison. It's a rough place to be. Well, yeah. And so 
here's a man sent by God, a man that has lived a righteous life, has served God, has, has been fulfilling the calling on his life and fulfilled the calling on his life, and now he sits in prison and he is shaken. Where the place where he finds himself is not where he thought. In verse 20 it said, And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? His faithful servant. He sends him out. sends these two disciples out. And John still had some disciples that obviously came to him and were allowed to come to him, but also we had, you know, John and Andrew were definitely his disciples, who are now disciples of Jesus. And they come and they ask, hey, John's wanting to know what's going on. When Jesus was there serving in the area and John was arrested, guess where Jesus did? He moved. That's when he moved to Capernaum. That's when he moved out of the area. Your cousin gets arrested. You know, he's laying it down. Herod, you better be, you know, I've been teaching repentance and this and this, and now the Savior's here and you're in trouble. And you're like, yes, get him. And no, he moved away. It's like... You know, cuz, what's up? I mean, it's rough, right? You think, what, what's going on here? Are you the coming one? Are you the one that was going to come in, take care of Rome, this power over us, deal with the Jewish leaders? This isn't looking like the new kingdom I thought the way it would look like. This, this isn't fitting what John thought was supposed to happen. And he begins to doubt. But the good thing is, when John began to doubt, what did he do? He went on social media and blasted Jesus. What kind of cousin is this, man? I prayed for this guy. Somehow he got up. No. He asked Jesus. He goes to the source. He says, Jesus, what's going on here? Are you it? I'm doubting. Are you it? You know, John, John actually... I'm pretty impressed, because sadly, a lot of the times, we don't even do this, and we should do it. Not to say when you have a doubt about anyone and you should go to him, but you know, if you're married to him, that'd be a good thought. You know, if you guys have doubts about Donald Trump, don't give him a call and say, we need to have a sit down. I don't think it's going to help you. But with those who you have relationship with and things, yeah, confront them, go to them first. You know, you ever say, hear somebody say something, you're like, are you sure? That's well, let me ask 10 other people if the way they said that was wrong or right. You know, the tone was kind of, I don't know. It's a little side note there, but John sends disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't answer right away. Let's look at verse 21 here. He says, doesn't answer, but in that very hour he cured many of infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen, heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, and the leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, so Jesus doesn't immediately say anything, but he's doing. He answers by doing. Look what's happening. Look what's going on. See these things. And when he quotes this here, he goes, hey, look, don't you see he's quoting parts of Isaiah? You got Isaiah 29, 18, and 19 here, Isaiah 32 and 3 and 4, 
uh, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Isaiah 42 and 6 and 7, and, you know, on, and uh, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Isaiah 62, I'm sure John was thinking about, you hear these things, right? Okay, he's fulfilling these prophecies of Messiah. He's doing them all the way through the book of Isaiah. These things are talked about. In Isaiah 61, uh, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to send me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and open the prison of those who are bound. I'm wondering if John's thinking, what? I'm in prison. I'm bound. You're healing people from the dead. Just open the door. You know? Well, Jesus had a bigger point than just religious freedom, right? The Jews wanted a ruler that was going to come and take over and kick out Rome and set up a kingdom, right? If you're the guy preparing the way for the king, do you think you got a good position coming in that palace? Yeah, you're thinking, yeah, when it gets set up, of course I'm going to be his right-hand man. I'm the guy that came before him. I was a messenger sent by God. You know? And does Jesus proclaim liberty to the captives? Yes, those of us who are captive by sin. Also captive to those who are uh, even speaking more of uh, uh, Abraham's bosom. Those who are waiting in paradise for the coming Messiah. Those who had passed away before the coming of Jesus. I think it's interesting here, John running around proclaiming the coming Messiah. He ends up passing away before Jesus, but where does he go? He goes to paradise, right? The day John the Baptist showed up in paradise, what was that like? He's not, oh yeah, the Messiah's coming, and we've prophesied, you've got Abraham here, you've got all these prophets here, and he shows up and goes, I've seen the Messiah. He's here. The time is near. You know, he was, he was even you know, announcing that coming in that time, in that place. And it's interesting to see as we look and we continue on, you know, verse 23 says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's, wow. And, and the amazing thing is, Jesus is responding quite lovingly to John here. He goes, hey, look what's going on. He could have done all kinds of things, right? Couldn't he have written on the jail cell wall, you know, yes, I am he, get over it. I mean, he could have all kinds of things, messages like, right? You have a short memory span, because, I mean, there, there are so many ways God could have responded. When God doesn't respond harshly, Jesus doesn't respond harshly with us. When you look at even Peter denying Jesus and God lovingly coming and restoring him, and there are things that cause us to doubt at times. Jesus wasn't meeting what John had planned. But God, Jesus, was after his Father's will. A different plan. And it's hard, it's really hard sometimes not to doubt. It's, it's really hard not to sit there and go, okay, but I'm serving you, Lord. So, so I know I don't expect, we're not in a health wealth doctrine, we're not expecting a, a Bentley and all this whatever stuff. We never, no, we're more practical than that. We just want to do well and be healthy, right? If we're serving you, Lord, there shouldn't be trials because we're serving you. Shouldn't there be like, you know, 
all these people at work seem to be getting blessed and I'm serving you, Lord, and why am I getting not hired? Or why didn't I get the raise? Or why did this happen? You know, and there, there's, there's the simple things of that. You know, um, Anthony called me twice during worship. He's at home and he's throwing up. And of course, you know, 15-year-old boy and a boy in my family, it's the end of the world. Dad, I'm going to die. You're going to be okay. We'll be home after church. No, you don't understand. I'm dead. I'm going to die. Like, oh, so pray for him. You know, there's those times. He's doubting right now a lot of things, you know? And it, it's hard to see those things. And we, when you talk about, there's a lot of little things, right, that, that challenge you, but then there's big things. There's big things that come at you. Um, man, I, I, we, we met uh, briefly, me and Heidi stopped by a, a, a friend who's a pastor of a, a church in uh, Lodi, um, and a good friend, and um, we check in every once in a while and just talking to him, he goes, man, doesn't, doesn't God just have a special set of blessings for those who are called to serve him, or, you know, a special set of trials? What, what do you guys think, you know, since you guys have been serving, what do you guys think? And it's like, oh, yes, it's, it's a blessed trial. And, and it's not that you guys are, or any particular person in here is a trial. There's things you go through. As I'm preparing for this, and I was looking at this at the beginning of the week, I'm going, oh, no, Lord. I don't want to cover this scripture because you know what that means? I'm going to go through areas where I'm going to doubt. Most of the time, God's correcting me way more before he gets to you. It's ministering to me before I'm sharing the gospel with you. And, and then I get up here, and then I'm like honest about things I'm going through that I'd rather not sometimes. I've, I've been debating all night what I should share. Three years ago, I had cancer. Last week, a lump shows up where it shouldn't. God, I don't want to go through that. Hope it's not that. Don't want to get everybody worried. We haven't, we finally got an ultrasound going through the doctors, find out what's going on. But that thought comes, man, I thought we were done with this. Am I going to be done with this? Or am I going to struggle with this and it's going to take me out? Lord, but you know, we're serving you. I don't have time to deal with any of this stuff. I mean, I got, a, got out easy the first time without any chemo and this. I don't want to come on, Lord, I'm serving you, right? I don't want to go through this, and I, it can be horrible, hard, very brutal things. Heidi's brother, police officer, Alano, for those who don't know, got shot. He's home now, okay? All the doctors talking how it's a miracle, how the bullet went in and missed all these things, even though it nicked all these organs and stuff, there's no way the bullet should have made it from there to there, and it's so clean, and it just, it's amazing that there's, you know, God's total grace. God's total grace. An inch higher would have hit his vest. Wouldn't have gone in at all. How do you balance those two? He still got shot. God's grace that the bullet didn't, yeah, a couple inches away from killing his life and taking out some main vessel, you know, centimeters away from this blood vessel. And God, why did you allow that? He's got a good purpose, but he allowed that, but he didn't take his life. I mean, Right? It's not in God's plan. What is God's plan? And blessed is he who is not offended of me because of me. Blessed, happy, joyful. Joyful are us that are not offended by this. There are many things when you sit there and you think about it and go, you know, go through. John, John gets beheaded. So does Jesus. He gets hung on a cross and killed. Oh, let's look at, let's look at the uh, 12 disciples, well, the 11 disciples, not counting Judas. 
I know some of you guys are like, no, I'm out of ministry. We're done. I mean, the odds one out of 11, you get exiled. I mean, right? Forget the lottery. <laughs> the odds are, if you are serving God, there are going to be some rough trials. And if not, maybe you need to pray about what you're doing. I don't know. <laughs> you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> I was just saying, that's, that's the life we're called to. But at the same time, you hear there's a worship song. And, I, and sometimes we sing worship songs, and it's like, do you, do you mean that? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Would you rather go through whatever trials, suffering, health issues, maybe even being martyred over living a nice and rich life even for a thousand years here? What's the value? And I think one person, there, there's not many of us in here. I don't, I don't know... Um, I don't know too many of you in here that are, I don't think any of us are, are um, I know most of you, but I don't know any of you guys uh, are running around with, you know, money beyond measure, where you can buy whatever you want. You know, we were talking, I was watching a little thing, a part of a little thing, and it was talking about how these rich people, I mean, are extremely rich. And there was this one couple, and they built the biggest house in the United States. And they are rich beyond measure, the amount of money they have, but they still had to take out a loan to build this thing. And they still wanted more money. They, totally, they still weren't happy with it. They have the biggest house in the whole United States, and they're not happy with it. You know, and none of the, there wasn't a single one of these people happy at all. You know, he goes, I can buy anything in the world. There is nothing I can't buy, but I don't have enough. You know, and you look at it, and you go, well, what kind of perspective is that? And, and you look at what you, we would think and would view would make us happy. Oh, no, God, if this was better, or this, or your way, I don't know about your way. But remember, there's this guy, Solomon, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, right? Jesus even declares nobody was clothed as well. I mean, he compares them. The lily of the fields have better clothes than this guy. This guy had everything, and the amount of money, the amount of power. There's never been a kingdom like his in the world since then. And what did he say? In Ecclesiastes 1.4, and I mean, he goes all the way through reading just the first chapter. But one little verse from that is, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. This life without Christ is totally pointless. It's purposeless. Even if you had all the health and all the wealth and everything you needed... It's pointless. And so you sit, and as I go through this week, and, and I mean, this week it really rattled me. I mean, I don't want to go through going through cancer again, especially if it showed back up. That can't be good. This, you know, Lord, do you trust me? Yeah. But can you fix it? <laughs> you know, you have arguments. Not, doubt, not doubting what God that God loves me, not doubting God cares about me, not doubting anything, but doubting why he might allow this. I'm thinking, you know, it's probably going to be nothing, right? I'm going to go in, we got an appointment Wednesday, I don't think it's going to be a darn thing. You know why I'm hoping that? Because I'm teaching through this, and God wanted him to teach me something through it. So next week, it'll be, you know, we get into praying for, I'll look down, hopefully we have miraculous healings next week, and we can talk about that. 
But you know, you sit there and you look at it and you go and... Um, actually, we don't have miraculous healings. We have a woman that is just totally in love with Jesus. Totally in love with Jesus and I'm jealous. So if you want to read ahead, you can read about this woman who's totally in love with Jesus. But we sit there and we see and, and we see these things that challenge us in our lives and, and, and can shake us to the core. Situations and relationships in our life. You know, you sit there and go, okay, most of us realize, okay, money isn't going to bring us happiness. We never have none of that or enough of this. But what about those relationships? What about those people we care about? That's important. What are you going to do about it? One thing I've learned, I'm no good at relationships. I mess things up. The only time I have any kind of good effect or influence on a relationship is when I'm laying myself at Jesus' feet and begging him to change me, asking him for wisdom on how to love those people around me. That's the only time I have any kind of effect in a good way on those relationships. The only value I have in any situation is because I'm following Jesus. I'm in his way. And sometimes it's not easy. It's rough. You know, and, and Jesus didn't turn around. He doesn't rebuke us. He doesn't say, oh, you know what, Tim, how dare you question me? If I'm going to allow you to go through this, you should just trust it's for No, he doesn't go lovingly goes, hey, just trust me. It's blessed. You'll be blessed if you just slow down and trust me. This, this world isn't it. We get so focused on what's here and now. You know, as a father, my dad passing away young when I was 16, his biggest concern was us. I know other men that are dying sick. His, their biggest concerns are kids and their relationship with God. I, I grew up with a, a father who was focused on those things because he knew he was dying for a long time. And so when you see those things and what's important, it's not about this world. Ask anybody that's about ready to leave it that knows anything about God. It's not about now and here. It's about what's to come. It's what's important. They're very heavenly-minded most of the time. And even though it's hard to be in that situation, and it, it can be a very sad situation to be around those people, many times you find and come across the most awesome truths in life. It's because what's God showing them and where their heart's at. And, and it just challenges me when you sit down and you think and you go, okay, well, there's going to be seasons of hardship. There's going to be seasons where the ministry changes. There's going to be seasons where, you know, you think, well, I've done all these things for God, so there's got to be a reward. Well, that reward is not here. And there's going to be struggles and there's going to be challenges that come up and even harder things. And so... Do you trust him? Do you trust him? And, and it really comes down to that. And when we look at scripture, and what's encouraging is when you read through the word repeatedly and you see without a doubt how loving our Savior is, you can trust him. He is an offense. His ways are better than mine. If I would have got what I wanted just praying for things, man, I'd be like one of those people that won the lottery. I'd be miserable. 
That would have destroyed my life. You know, you think about that, okay? Say, say you won a, you know, billions of dollars. How would you help somebody? Could, uh, you, you know, instead, you're not going to spend it all on you. You're going to really try to help some people out. Do you realize giving somebody a ton of money could destroy their life? How would you do that? You'd have to be on your knees all the time. It would be a burden, right? It would take a lot of faith and prayer to have that much money and be responsible to God for it. Because I got it, I'd probably destroy some of your guys' life in here. I'd be like, hey, you know what? Guess what? The church will just donate all this money. Now we don't got to trust God. We can just do whatever stupid thing we think of instead of praying and ask God what we should do. I mean, honestly, that's what would happen. Why? Because everything God wants to do is totally available to us. It doesn't matter the church finances or any of those things. When we get together and we pray and we're looking at ministry, we're never looking at the books. God guides us. He's going to provide whatever we need. He's going to take care of it. He's calling us to it. It's going to be there. So there, there are men that are more number guys than I am. I'm more of a faith guy. You love that nice balance of people serving on our board. I go, cool, we'll pray about it. Well, pray about the money for it too. Okay. You know. But so far, God's been awesome in those areas, and he meets all those needs, and, and even just meeting the needs of the body and in our lives and the financials. It's amazing to see and being just faithful in that. Whatever God calls me through, if we go through a health issue, if Heidi's gone through lupus for years back and forth, and you pray, God, why do you allow this? Why do you allow this situation? This misunderstanding in this relationship that's now caused this divide. Lord, I would resolve it. Resolve it. Restore this, this relationship. My children, they're in the world. God, help me. Use it for your glory. Use it for your good. Verse 24, it says, When the messengers of John departed, he began to speak to the multitude concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you a prophet and more than a prophet. So here the, the disciples go back off to, to John and they don't get to hear this part. This, this part doesn't get relayed to John, at least at this point. You know, here's... This question that comes as Jesus is there, as the people are there, what about John the Baptist? You know, what about this? And he sends that message off to John, and the people around him got to be going, wow, this is hard to hear. He's, he's not going to, he didn't tell the messengers to go back and tell him to walk out of jail. I mean, he could heal a guy from a distance. He sends them back, and the crowd is sitting there, and they're wondering, well, so is John unworthy, maybe? What's God's account of John? What's heaven's account of John? And Jesus kind of lays it out here. He goes, what did you guys go out in the wilderness to see? You didn't go out to see a guy all dressed up and all well off and well to be. No. You went out to see a prophet. And Jesus goes, even more than a prophet. Let 
didn't go out there in the wilderness to see a guy all done up in a nice wig on TV. They went out to see a prophet. They went out to see a man of God. You realize, out of all the prophets, here Jesus declares John the greatest. The greatest of all the prophets. And he's the greatest. They all prophesied about the coming Messiah. He got to see the coming Messiah. He got to meet him. But even more than that, even more than that, you realize John didn't even do a single miracle? We don't have much recorded about John's life at all overall. I mean, some of the other prophets, you look at, gosh, man, look at Moses. He's greater than Moses? I mean, to the Jewish people, this would be radical to think, right? They, they esteemed Moses and Abraham and these prophets and Elijah. And here you have John the Baptist. No real reputation. He, he laid aside the, pal- the, the priesthood and all that to be out in the wilderness. Not a single miracle, but yet he was out there and God calls him the greatest. In heaven's account, the greatest prophet. I'm sure John didn't feel like that at the time. You know, sometimes you're serving in ministry and go, gosh, all these things are going on. Lord, I'm, I'm trying to just... I'm just trying to be godly. I just want to be a good witness at work. I just want to this and that. And it seems like at every corner I'm getting attacked and I just, Lord, it's hard. I don't see any value in it. And heaven's going, no, we see all kinds of value. You have no clue the effect you're having. What an amazing thing. God's point of view so many times on our situation is way different than we could ever imagine. Verse 27, and it says, For or this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare a way, for, a way before you. Speaking of Malachi 3.1. I don't know about many of you guys in here. Have you, any of you guys had any prophecy about you? Ooh, this might be a trick question. You know, prophesied, Right? You talk about a ministry. I mean, how many times you think, see somebody going through something, and the first thought is, well, you know, God must be judging them, or that ministry must be doing something wrong because look at the trials they're having. Or, you know what I mean? Obviously, if God was in that ministry, he wouldn't have their leader locked up. Verse 28, it says, For I say to you, among these born of women, there is none greater than the prophet, than John the Baptist. Yes, a prophet. An amazing thing. No greater born among women. But then there's that little trick question verse. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Who's that speaking about? Us. Us. Isn't that insane? So yes, you've been prophesied about right here. If you are in the kingdom of God and you're least... You're greater than even John the Baptist. Why is that? John the Baptist was a messenger that God is coming. The Savior is coming. You need to repent. We're messengers that get to say what? The Savior has come and I know him. His spirit dwells in me. You know, he wasn't less in degree, but he was born among women. We 
being in the kingdom of God are what? Born again. We're born in the Spirit. A different birth. We know salvation. He has chosen us to be His messengers. And we, we just get a greater message. We get a greater relationship. You think, okay, it'd be cool to know God. You mean be His forerunner? Be His cousin? That'd be awesome. We have a better, greater understanding, knowledge than John did. A better relationship with our Savior than even him. And what an awesome thing that that is. And it's amazing how so many times we can, you know, I, I just, I, you know, you, you get people, it's like, yes, I'm serving the Lord. The trials are coming. So miserable. Could you imagine John being around and you just, what's your problem? I mean, honestly, I didn't get to have the relationship with him. I got locked up and beheaded. I wouldn't want to have that discussion with John when you get to heaven, right? Like, hey, you know, I just, you know. Of course, I wouldn't want to get there and have an argument of who's greater either, but, you know. It's amazing to see these things, and you're amazing to see that this relationship we have with God that we can be born again to have a relationship with the King of all kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior. What an awesome thing. What a, there's nothing of value. There is, there is not a work. There's nothing you could invent if you came up with a cure for cancer or anything else that's going to be greater than being able to be born, to be the Son of God, to have that relationship with Him. The rest of this world is totally pointless. I'd rather be saved and know God one day than live here a hundred years. It's, it's wasted time and pointless. If anything, when you look at the world without God in it, it's just cruel. I, I, I mean, I, I was able to be, you know, I was raised in, in a church. I was raised with the knowledge of the Bible. And man, so many times I sit down and I look at going, man, and without that, how, why would you even try? What's the point? I mean, I, this world's cruel, mean, and yeah. I, I guess I would have to numb myself on drugs or, or just end it all. Without Lord, the Lord, it'd be over. It's pointless. You know, and, and you look at that, and, and when you even have a man that had more than any riches and everything else, and he goes, it's pointless. Without God. And, and not even just that, he had wisdom. He was rich and smart. You look at these things, and verse 29, it continues on, and, and he talks about the effect that John the Baptist had, and it says, And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized. It's interesting, you have these sinners, these people were not accepted, willing to accept this ministry that John the Baptist had. And you have the learned, you have the Pharisees, the law givers of the word, these men in power, and, and sadly, they, they rejected it. They rejected the message, they were offended at it. And sadly, there's nothing new. There's still men that still reject it. They don't, they don't like the truth. They don't like the truth of the message. It's never good enough. 
As you see when we continue on here in verse 31, and it says, And the Lord said to them, To what then shall I liken men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in a marketplace, calling to one another, saying, We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. Now, if God compares you to a little child in this sense, that's not good. That's a rebuke. That's a put down. Right? You're like a little kid. You just don't understand anything yet. And he uses this as example of this marketplace and kids being there. Now, they didn't have schools and stuff at the time. So if you're going to the marketplace as a child, you're going with your parents, that's the time you got to hang out with your friends, right? And so you're there, and your friends are there, and they're going, you know, every once in a while you'd have a funeral procession there, or you'd have a wedding going through the marketplace, and there would be, you know, a party. So, you know, your friends are there, and they want to play. Let's play that we're having a party like a wedding. So we're going to play around and pretend we're having a wedding. And the little kid's like, no, I don't want to play that. And then, okay, fine. And then we'll play we're having a funeral. We can all act sad and... You know, kind of like dress up. Um, I know some of you guys play dress up, and some of you guys have some pictures of dress up that you are paying somebody to keep hidden. But I know there's one of me or somewhere out there. Um, Suzanne probably has me in pigtails or see. Yeah, that will come out one day. Advice: Do not have any family in your fellowship. No. <laughs> Well-paid family. No. But, you know, they don't want to play. They don't want to play along. It's like, you know, you ever have a, you guys have done this with a parent, right? You're like, hey, why don't you just go over there and play? And your kid's like, no. Okay. Then why don't you just go sit in the corner and be like, no. You're like, come here. Let's give you an attitude adjustment. I mean, right? it's just like there's nothing you can do. I mean, you, they're going to be miserable, and that's what they've chosen, and so... You have to uh, adjust their attitude. And so that's kind of what he's comparing them to. How sad, right? You're compared to a whiny little brat child. I mean, you just take them. Here, this is, this, that's, that's called a rebuke. Okay? A heavenly rebuke. You're like a little whiny child. Not come to me like a little child. No, you're like a little whiny child. You know, and it's interesting as they sit there and, and, he, and, and he goes to explain why they're like a little whiny child. In 33 here it says, For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine nor, nor saying, and, or, and you say he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking and you say, Look at the glutton and the wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Either way, you're not happy. One comes... Not after the things of the world, serving, teaching repentance. You're, ah, he's demon-possessed. He's a nut out there in the wilderness. They all heard the message. The other ones did, but they rejected it. Those who were in sin rejoiced in it. You know? And you look, and they look at Jesus and go, oh, you're just a glutton, a wine. I mean, you hang out with these sinners. You're no better than they are. They're just not, you're, you're not going to happen. Their hearts are hard. They're not open to it. They're not going to be open to it. But God says, hey, let's, let's take a look at this. You're critical? You want to be critical of the way God's working? The way God's doing ministry? Well, well, let's look at this. And it says, but wisdom is justified by all her children. 
What children? What, what fruit is there? We see tax collectors. We see sinners changing their lives. We saw John the Baptist ministry. How many of those men were changing their lives? There's fruit of that. His, some of his disciples are walking with Jesus. There's fruit of that ministry. What about, what about Jesus' disciples? Was there any fruit of that ministry? No, not at all. It only changed the whole world. You know? What kind of fruit is there? You know? And, and it's amazing how people, you know, you get, you get people super critical. I remember um, I was reading this thing and looking at this, this deal, and there's this one guy, leave him nameless, and he's of a very small church. He was an elder of a church of 16 people. And it's back in the early 70s, and he's talking about how Chuck Smith's doing it all wrong. I mean, Chuck Smith took over in 1965 a little church called Chowry Chapel with less than 60 people. Do you think there's been fruit of that ministry? Oh, man, he's reaching out to the hippie kids. He's doing, all, he's doing it all wrong, you know. God's not part of that. That's not the way God does things. The way God does things is the way we've been doing it and the way we told them we were doing it for years. Instead, Chuck goes, okay, God, what do you want to do? I just want to be bored with the way you're going to do it. And what does God do? There's fruit of that ministry. You know, and you're going to be justified by the fruit of the ministry. John the Baptist's life was justified by the fruit of his ministry. Our lives aren't going to be immediate. People, you know, children take time. Amazing thing, sometimes we even get to see grandchildren of that fruit, of those things that are produced. Justified by all her children. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, it says, he said that, or then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Sometimes you don't see the fruit of raising your children the right way. It takes years. You know, sometimes you, you, you run into a, a <laughs> you get to a point and it's like, I've told them this. How many times? I mean, they're now 19. And you're still teaching them the same thing. <laughs> you know, it takes years of fruit. I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure my mom's still waiting for fruit. Now, <laughs> you look at some of these things, but it, fruit takes time. And the truth is simple, though. Do we trust God? Do you believe if you try to gain your life, it's to nothing, to no end, but if you lose it and you trust God, you will find it? There's no profit in this world. There's no profit in seeking after it. I don't know, you, you might not be here. You might have not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You, you maybe not come to that point in your life. You might acknowledge him and say, yes, I believe in God. But God is Lord of your life. 
That means he's the master of every decision you make. You wake up in the morning and it's, your Lord, what do you want to do? I'm your servant. John listened to God. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He went out into the wilderness to share a message. He didn't go after the things of this world. Not because he thought, oh, this is going to be really effective. You know, it wasn't like the hippie movement back in the day. We're going to go eat locusts and live in camel's hair in the wilderness and be natural. It wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't part of this, you know, go live off the land movement or anything like that. He wasn't worried about his, uh, what is it called, uh, his uh, carbon footprint. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the point. He was led there by the Holy Spirit and he followed. And if Jesus Christ isn't the Lord of your life, you need to search your heart. Because you, you tell me, you come across anything that's any of any value, you will not find it. There was a um, pastor I know and whose uh, son was rebelling. Senior pastor of a church. Son went into rebellion. He said, you know, my, went to the board and said, you know, my, my son, my son's rebelling. He's going off. He's doing his own thing. I had to kick him out. And, um, you know, if you want my resignation, my house is kind of out of order. They said, no, you've kicked him out. Your house is in order. Not an easy thing to do. And he goes, you know, and one thing I could tell my son as a man, you go out in that world, if you ever find anything better than Jesus, let me know. Let me know. You need, you need, I need to be the first to know. So three years passed, and the son came home one day, found him at his house after church, and what's going on? He goes, Dad, I haven't found anything better than Jesus. That man's now a pastor, too. It's amazing to see. One thing I love is the way Luke puts it. He puts the same thing we read in Matthew in a little different light the way Luke records it. He says, Then Jesus said to them all, in Luke 9, 23, it says, Said to them all, If you desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, and sometimes we start to... Um, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, I'll take up my cross and I'll follow you. Ten minutes down the road, I was like, hey, I'm going to put that cross down. I want to pick this up and that up. And I'm going to, you know, like, well, wasn't the cross, you know, well, you know, the cross was kind of light. I figured I could add a couple other things onto this, you know, a new mortgage and a new car payment. And, you know, Lord, why am I so burdened with all this stuff? Why don't you put everything down besides what I told you to pick up? Lay those things aside daily, seeking God, daily following Him, daily having that relationship with Him. No matter what's happening physically, no matter if your life is going to be gone tomorrow, there's nothing that's better than what He has planned. We can get scared. I don't know about you guys, I get scared sometimes. It's scary. It's a scary thought of, whoa, I could die. What is, man, do you know how scary of a thought it is that Heidi would have to try to figure out how to clean out my garage without me? <laughs> yeah. We're not having a church 
garage clean-out meeting. She's wanted. Some of you guys have volunteered. Oh, yeah, we'll help you get things in order to move. No, it'd be too embarrassing for me, frankly. There's a lot I need to go through. Not that there's anything sinful there. It's just a lot of years of uh, just getting stuff done, fixing a car, running out the door all at the same time. So, anyways, enough about that. But it's one of those things of slowing down and trusting God daily with everything. Do you trust him with eternity? Do you trust him with your family? The hardest thing for my dad to do was let go of us. The last three months of he was alive, he barely drank a half a cup of water. He was in a lot of pain. He was home. Many times we'd pray for him, and he would just sit there and start to talk to God. Other times, you know, we'd just wake up hearing him and be praying for him. I remember he quoted a couple chapters to me, one's in Ephesians. Just quoted it. It's like, where's that coming from? But also... You'd hear him praying and talking with God. And one of the last, there's, there was, in the last three days he was alive, he was clear, the family was there. Um, brothers, sisters all came up, he was clear. Then that Monday he passed away when we got home from school. But I remember the night before, he's sitting there and going, God, help me to entrust him to you. I've wanted to entrust him to you all my life, and now you want him, and I'm having a hard time. And he goes, okay, you said you will okay, I'm going to trust you. And the next day he was gone. Home. I think that was the hardest thing for him to do. But guess what? God had a plan in that. God's done amazing things through that. Sin is destructive. There's a horrible cost to it. But at the same time, God worked those things out for good. I had a father that was heavenly minded didn't have a little effect on me, had a huge effect on me. Sometimes those things are hard. I'm sure John the Baptist shed many tears sitting in that cell wondering, wondering, did I do it? What if this isn't, what if it wasn't? Are you the one? Was my whole life, the whole ministry I had, my whole calling wrong? Did I miss it? Were you the wrong one? But at the same time, what's God's account? What's the only account that matters? You know, the amazing thing is we can get all wrapped up in other people's opinion of ourselves. The only one that matters is heaven's and God's, what he views of us. And he loves us dearly. And no matter how hard those things are that come up in our lives, no matter what things we go through, he loves us. And he does it out of love. And I don't understand all the whys. And I'm not going to, but he loves us. He loves us deeply. So this morning, if you haven't begun a relationship with that God and you don't know for a fact that he loves you, if he's not Lord of your life, and your heart maybe is not in that place where going, you know what, I'm not willing to lay my life down before you. Or maybe there's just some things in our lives that you go, you're holding on to. You're not trusting God with. And he said, no. He's told you specifically, no, I want you to trust me with that situation. That relationship, that job issue, that whatever it is, I want you to trust me with it. I want you to trust me with it, and I want you, number two, to be my messenger. You're going to stop dwelling on what's going on and the circumstances around you, and you're going to start sharing the message. Because I remember some other people that got locked. you guys remember some other people that got locked up? Oh, yeah. There were some of these disciples. They got locked up. 
And then there were some prison guards getting shared because they were so, woe is me. We're in jail for... No, they end up sharing the gospel. They're singing it in their chains. That's where we're at. We get to know the Savior. We get to have joy even in our trials. My brother-in-law, what a witness. Sitting there, praying, trusting God. Thousands of people sharing on Facebook, praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. What a testament. Kids in schools he doesn't even know of. Never been around, all the way from up here in Jackson or whatever, writing him a card, letting him know. I'm praying for you, public school. What an amazing thing. God can work those things out to be amazing things. God has a plan in it. You know? You think, would you take a bullet for Jesus? Share the gospel? There's people that have. Would you give up your life for it? We need to daily. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And even though sometimes we are just blown away and at, at life and we are overwhelmed by it, God, help us to come and just ask you. God, if we have any doubts, help us just to turn our hearts to you because we know you are going to comfort us. You're going to reassure us. We know you love us so much, God, and that when we do turn to you in your word, even in our darkest hour, you will give us just a joy and a peace and you'll speak to us. You don't rebuke us. You love us so much. God, help us to just count all as lost, that we would not hold anything dear. Father, nothing we own or possess, nobody in our relationships with you that we would hold from you, not even our own lives, that we would just lay everything down before you, that you would not be an offense, that we would be just blessed, God, because we know you, that our lives would just represent that, that we would reflect that and be able to just share that message that there is nothing, sting has, death has no sting, because I know Jesus. This world is in lost and despairing and hurting, and we have the joy of who you are knowing you. God, for all those who are just going through doubt, suffering this morning, that are discouraged, just pray that you would just continue to speak to them, Father. That they'd be just desiring to seek you and that you would just speak to them in their personal time. That we would just lay our lives down daily. That we'd daily be coming to you, daily seeking you, and daily in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.